happy to see you guys again, and it's been an absolutely crazy week. I mean, between MegaCon and all the good stuff happening, shoot, today on Monday, we've gotten, what, three trailers and three teasers with Spider-Man on the way tomorrow? Sadly, you'll have to wait for my opinion on next week's episode, but... Like I said, things are still coming and it's amazing. First off, we're going to be going into comics and for this week's episode only, I have a brand new section talking about Megacon and exactly what happened during all four days. So sit tight and here comes the show. Anyway, we're going to start off like we always do in comics. And in today's issue, we're starting off with Marvel Deadpool issue number five. And my God, was this issue hilarious. I mean, I couldn't stop laughing. I really couldn't. And it all started with Deadpool lying on the ground with Cletus Cassidy sticking out of his stomach. Uh, H, which I'm calling Harrow, if you guys remember, is happy to see him and introduces herself as the person who brought him back. They begin to get lovey-dovey and Otto begins to say that there is more to life than engineered abs. Deadpool comments that he will find someone one day who loves him for his mind, which I couldn't help but laugh. Cletus then notices Deadpool and slams his head onto the floor and does mention that he's going to kill him. Now, Deadpool and Cletus have a very interesting history. I think that Cletus hates Deadpool more than Spider-Man, if that gives you any indication. And one of the reasons why Carnage hates Deadpool is because when Deadpool was hunting Carnage, they got into a fight and Carnage accidentally killed his girlfriend because Deadpool tricked him. And wow, did that send him into a depression. And yeah, that's one of the biggest reasons why Carnage hates Deadpool. Deadpool comments that he hopes he doesn't have twins because he feels something in his stomach and a huge mouth comes out of Deadpool and basically kills Cletus. And I thought it was a trick. I was like, oh, Carnage isn't dead. After a couple pages, I'm like, oh, he, he actually is dead. Okay. So afterwards uh, that everybody has been basically cemented with Carnage coming back and dying... Uh, the dog or the mouth that came out of Deadpool comes out fully and it reveals to be a dog. Yes, a symbiotic dog, which Deadpool names Renesme. And if that sounds very familiar, it's because it's the name of the child from Twilight from Bella and Edward. And why do I know this? Is because I had three sisters and I could not, and I repeat this, could not escape Twilight because all three of them went through the Twilight phase. Back to the comic, the dog likes Deadpool and calls him Papa. H begins to have her monsters attack the dog. Otto tries to leave because it's getting way too weird at this point. And Deadpool begins to fight, but he doesn't have any of his swords. So his dog, Renesme, coughs them up. He begins to help his dog attack everybody. Meanwhile, Valentine is explaining to the organization why she was with Deadpool as the head guy fixes her arm. She basically explains that this was all part of her research and that Lady Deathstrike is helping her with her experiment. Also, she notes that Otto actually put the hit on himself, which she says she will find out why. She says she needs Deadpool and she begins to basically promise that they'll have all her notes and research on her report by Monday. She leaves with Deathstrike 
and head over to where Deadpool is. Otto tries to leave again, but is basically sat on by Renesmee. He tries another time, but an explosion happens and Valentine and Deathstrike is there. Deathstrike attacks Otto, and Otto asks why she's attacking him since she failed her mission to kill him twice to join the organization. She asks how the heck he would have known that, and he comments he basically figured it out because one, he's a supervillain, and two, only a high or like assassin organization would even attempt to come after him. Valentine arrives and gives Deadpool a couple of vials to help destroy everything. He throws it, but Renesmee gets in the crossfire and they all escape. Deadpool begins to mourn his dog, who turns out to be alive, carrying Lady Deathstrike in her mouth. He renames her princess since he doesn't want to get sued, which I find hilarious. Princess also begins to be super happy, and not to mention they all walk away. H has revealed to survive and comments she still has a piece of the symbiote. The organization gathers all their assassins and begins to talk how Valentine has been compromised by Deadpool and now have to kill them both. It is also later revealed that Valentine was behind everything from Otto Octavius putting the hit on himself and basically for the nominations of Deadpool and Lady Deathstrike to go after him because as she put hit, they were the only two people who would not be able to kill Otto Octavius, which is hilarious. And it kind of leads up to the next issue on why Valentine wanted Deadpool. Because as of right now, Deadpool thinks she's in love with him and she has called him her boyfriend several times. So I don't know if she still wants to do something with Deadpool or she's actually after Princess. Like I said, this comic was hilarious. I loved it. Just non-stop jokes, and it's good to have Deadpool back. Anyway, moving on, we're going to be talking about the Invincible Iron Man issue number one. And the comic basically starts with Stark going over his life and how he got to where he is today. He also talks about how he's not as rich as he was, but he's not broke at the same time. He lost Stark Tower. He's living in a residential home, tickering with the Mark 70, as he basically says this is his only armor left. In the previous series, he spent all of his money buying weapons from a criminal organization called The Source. While tinkering with the reactor, it explodes, almost killing him, but it also kills in a civilian. He is then told by Rhodey and Riri Williams that they didn't see anything wrong with his reactor. Tony thinks otherwise and even goes to Reed Richards to find out if there's anything there but they don't find anything. He tells his lawyer, Jen Walters, to basically pay off everybody instead of fighting the civil lawsuits. He finds a new place and rebuilds the Mark 70. He basically takes it for a test flight and while he's in the air, he is attacked by a guy in a suit. He basically beats him, crushes his arm, and he's basically told that he is the messenger. When Tony takes off the guy's helmet, it's revealed that this guy was kidnapped two days ago and is connected to the suit by tubes and a vent that's attached to the armor. Meaning this dude was an unwilling participant in whatever far-fetched schemes is happening. He flies him to the hospital and goes into a depression and drinks, ends up passing out near the garbage, and that's where the issue ends. Now, the one thing that's very interesting about this comic storyline is the fact that this is going to be leading up to an event involving the X-Men. Since his tech is going to be used to make new Sentinels, 
he is basically going to have to answer to the nation of the X-Men. And also probably help them out since this is basically his mess as well. So I'm very excited to see where that goes and I can't wait to see how this all builds up to that event. And yeah, that's about it for comics. We're going to be moving on to TV shows. And I gotta say, the last episode of The Mandalorian was amazing. It was awesome to see how everything begins to fall. And what I mean by that is basically showing the seeds that are being planted for the rise of the New Order. Because let's be honest, as we've seen throughout the episode showing the New Republic, they're failing in controlling what is happening. They're understaffed, they're overworked, and they're just throwing out different technologies, allowing for some remnants of the Empire to come in, steal it, and basically tinker away. And this is shown whenever a planet that's not a part of the New Republic is attacked. The New Republic can't do anything because they're not signed on, leaving the Empire to do whatever they want, as shown in this episode. And one thing I will say is the fact that I loved seeing Zed in this episode. Even if it was for a brief moment, somebody from Rebels I wasn't expecting to show up, and his CGI was fantastic. But anyway, Navarro and other planets in the Outer Rim want their independence, and because of that, this has led the Empire staring back at them and rebuilding what was once lost, while the New Republic isn't helping at all. And the one thing that's making things interesting is the fact that they're basically repeating the same thing that the Old Republic did, which led to the Separatists, which of course led to the Clone Wars, and so on and so forth. And it, like I said before, it's very interesting to see the New Republic lack the manpower and basically have spies manipulating them from the inside. Very similar to basically uh, Hydra with S.H.I.E.L.D. How Hydra basically invaded S.H.I.E.L.D. and changed them from the inside out. After Navarro is attacked, we see Carson Tiva, a pilot we've seen out throughout the entire series, talk to Colonel Tuttle about helping Navarro and getting the help that they basically need. Elia Kane, who we saw in the previous episode betray the Doctor and manipulate him into stealing the Empire stuff and basically mind wipe him, comes into the room as if she's asking the doctor, or not doctor, the colonel, to basically what he wants to eat. And she manipulates the situation and mentions Navarro isn't on the signed Planet Accords and gets Tuttle not to authorize the help, which is crazy. And I gotta say, I really like how I hate this character. The actress playing this person is phenomenal. She plays the role so well that whenever I see her, I get mad. So what does Tiva do? He finds Mando, and you know how he finds him, and I find this hilarious, is because the droid he picked up used to serve in the New Republic, so Tiva was able to find them because of the tracker. I find that hilarious. Especially since the mechanic girl did not mention that this was an old New Republic droid. Still hilarious. Anyway... Mando basically talks to the other Mandalorians and gets them to stand behind him to fight for Navarro, which is really cool. And one thing that's really interesting that we all have to remember is that Mando mentions that Karga promised some land, which he uses as leverage to get the Mandalorians to help because he's like, hey, this is the land we're promised. We can use this to rebuild our clan up and everyone gets behind him. 
One thing that's really cool about this is because one, when this succeeded, Karga basically had a full deck to him. Not only did he now have an army, but he had the Mandalorians. And it's really cool. One thing that's really great about this episode is the fact that we got to see the Mandalorians fight, work as a team, and while even killing Shard. Now, I have no idea why or how the pilot was able to escape. Uh, I forgot what his name is. He was one of the pirates. But I bet we're going to see him again. This isn't the last time we saw him. One thing that was very interesting was the fact that the uh, leader, the one who was basically uh, making all the armor, the blacksmith, basically allowed Bo-Katan to take off her helmet and is now on a mission to gather the other Mandalorians to unite under one banner. And they're going to take back Mandalore. So it's very cool and very interesting to see some of the rules kind of peeled back because Bo-Katan has walked both ways of the Mandalore and her own clan. That's basically the gist of what I got from it. I could be wrong, but like I said, that's the gist. One thing that was really cool was when Tiva was on patrol, it's revealed that Moff Gideon escaped and someone wearing Beskar armor helped him. Which means that there's basically still a section of the Mandalorians that are loyal to him or that he has so much Beskar armor that he's given them to bounty hunters. There's countless theories here about what could be happening. So I'm excited. And one thing I don't get is why people are harping on this season being slow. In my opinion, they're building up the story so we can continue to be hyped. I'm excited about it. I'm wondering what's going to happen at the end of the season and if it has anything to do with the Ahsoka series with all the other shows that Star Wars is trying to produce to have one big crossover happen. And that's about it for the Mandalorian episode. Like I said, great episode would rank it about 9 out of 10. Now, moving on to the last two episodes of The Bad Batch. Oh my god, were my heartstrings pulled especially for the last episode. I did not want, and this is a spoiler, so skip, please, if you haven't watched it, but I did not expect Tech to die. I was so sad when he died. I don't believe he's dead. You know what? I do not believe it. There are way too many things that could have saved him. He may have survived. I do not believe he's dead. But that entire two episodes, my heart was pumping. They were like, get out of there. And then they ran into Saul Guerrero. And it's just, oh my God, he ticked me off. I'm like, why? Why aren't you listening to the people who helped you before? Don't do this. And yeah, oh my God, these episodes were frustrating. And it just left off in such a way that season three is just going to be insane. Because if Tech is really dead, it just goes to show that they're going to be slowly killing off each member of the Bad Batch until we're left with basically Omega. And I don't think we're ready for that. I really don't think any of us are ready for what's going to be coming. Because one thing that Dave Filoni is really good at is making a show dark. Because if you guys don't remember, I think it was season four of The Clone Wars. That was one of the darkest episodes yet. So I can't wait to see what crazy madness Dave Filoni has in store for us. Anyway, uh, Scott Pilgrim is coming back for an anime series, and this is the crazy part. Everybody from the original movie is coming back, which is really fun. I mean, it's cool for them to make an anime to kind of continue the story, but for everybody to come back? I mean, that's insane. 
and think about it a lot of these actors who weren't big at the time when this movie came out and now are huge stars like Chris Evans and now the fact that he's willing to come back to do his old role I find that awesome and I'm glad that there were able to keep a strong and happy relationship with this film to say, you know what? Screw it. We're doing this again. So, yay. I'm not a really big Scott Pilgrim fan, but I mean, the movie was not bad. It was really wacky. And I got friends who are big comic book fans of this series, especially the movie. So they're going to be really, really happy about this. And I'm very curious to see what studio is going to animate it. And if it's going to be somewhat of reminiscent of the comic book or it's going to be more i don't know regular anime who knows i'm excited to see it and this should be very interesting anyway moving on the trailer for secret invasion has dropped and wow is it going to be gritty i mean you don't understand how they're going to be able to say this takes place in the same world as freaking shiho it's just so dark and you can tell there's some remnants of the winter soldier because you don't know who to trust you don't know who's a scroll, you don't know who's evil, and you don't know what's happening. None of us do. And Nick Fury is wanting to face this new evil character 1v1. Heck, we don't even know if this is the real Fury. So even better. One thing I'm very curious to see is we saw more Don Cheadle in this, and I'm curious to see if he's going to armor up to basically help, and we're going to see maybe... Uh, discount team of avengers like the defenders that'd be kind of cool i don't know and i'm very curious to see if ross in this film or not film tv series my apologies is going to have some wakandan gear because apparently this takes place in present day mcu so i don't see why he wouldn't especially since now he's a citizen of wakanda after basically helping them out during the second black panther film so that'd be kind of cool to see and maybe we'll see some Black Panther characters pop in. Maybe Shuri. Maybe some of the guards from Black Panther, the Dora Milaje. That'd be pretty cool to see them appear in this, at least helping out Everett Ross. So like I said, I'm very curious to see where they go with this, and everything looks like it's going to be fantastic. Anyway, that's it for TV shows. Moving on to movies. Pixar has finally released the trailer for Elemental, their next movie. And it looks pretty much straightforward, basically showing a fire elemental falling in love with a water elemental, even though they're basically opposites. And I gotta say, the environments look creative, and it looks like Pixar is going to give us a great story. The only problem with that is that it's Pixar. I don't trust them with how straightforward this seems. There's going to be a gut-wrenching twist or a scene that pulls on our heartstrings. I already know it, I expect it to come, and I'm probably not going to be prepared. So like I said, very excited with this, I can't wait to see what they do. Moving on. DreamWorks is still apparently wanting to milk a franchise that just won't die, and that franchise is Trolls. Because something I did not think I would be saying right now is that they're coming out with Trolls 3. And one thing that's very interesting, and I kind of like this time, it is not a movie about a world-ending event. No one's eating any trolls. There isn't someone trying to take over the music. It's actually a family trying to get back together and looking back to their roots. And this film will basically be looking into Branch's past, with him being apparently a part of a popular troll boy band that fell apart and is now 
wanting to get back together with his long lost brother. One thing that's really funny about this, and I'm kind of mad that they didn't do this opportunity, was have all the band members be from NSYNC. That would have been hilarious. Because one, every person who grew up in the 90s, including my older sister, would have went crazy for that because it's basically an NSYNC reunion. And because Justin Timberlake is Branch, it just would have felt perfect. They're not doing that. I'm kind of disappointed. Anyway, Trolls 3 is going to be releasing and yay, you can tell I'm super excited. Anyway, moving on, Baby Shark, another film I'm super excited about, is getting a movie. Cardi B, Ashley Tisdale, Offset, and apparently their kids are going to be in this movie. My ears are not ready for this. I'm just giving you guys a heads up. It is not, and I don't even know what this is going to be about. All I know is I'm going to be avoiding it like the plague. Like the plague. Anyway, uh, moving on, Dungeons and Dragons, the movie. Again, this will be a non-spoiler review, was amazing. Absolutely loved it. It was goofy. The characters were fantastic. Chris Pine was great. Michelle Rodriguez. Uh, freaking Hugh Grant was really funny. So were some of the other characters. I mean, the dude from Detective Pikachu, the chick from freaking It's. They were very great. And even, I don't even know how to pronounce this dude's name. I'm just going to say the guy from Bridgerton was really fun. And honestly, it's goofy. I'm glad that people who play D&D was able to go to this movie and enjoy it for what it was. Was it predictable? Sure. But that's exactly what we wanted. And some of the characters and some of the monsters that appeared weren't just regular trolls or goblins. We had freaking monsters that none of us had probably seen before playing in the Underdark. I loved it. I loved being surprised by different characters or even different uh, monsters that I haven't faced before. You had some celebrity cameos, and this is a non-spoiler, but there's an after credit. Once you get past the mid credit scene and you see it, you're done, there's nothing afterwards. I'm excited to see where they take this franchise because the cinematography was great, the comedy was on point, and it felt like a bunch of guys just playing Dungeons and Dragons just for fun. I'm definitely gonna give it an eight out of 10, Definitely blew my expectations out of the water. Uh, moving on, the Blue Beetle trailer has just dropped. And by God, I didn't think I could enjoy another trailer from DC, but this has proved me wrong. It kind of feels like a Marvel movie, but in a good way. And it has a lot of Easter eggs that we saw in the trailer. First, Ted Kord does exist in this movie. Something must have happened to him because he has his company, he has different uh, Easter eggs of his time as the Blue Beetle. He has his ship. And from the looks of it, it's basically been abandoned. So my guess is it's going to lead up to uh, Jaime Reyes finding Ted Kord and basically training under him or he'll be revealed at the end. They do mention Batman, but again, I have no idea if this takes place in the old DCU or the new DCU. I'm hoping that this does well so it takes place in the new and they don't have to revamp anything. Because everything looks fun in this trailer. Heck, even George Lopez looks funny. So, I'm excited about it. I wish I could say the same for this next announcement I'm going to do. But here it goes. Moana is getting a live action film. Yes, Moana. And I have no idea why. The movie's not even 10 years old. Why is it getting a live action movie? It's not necessary. I get that The Rock 
is saying that he wants to bring it to live action to honor the people, the islanders. I get it, but it does not need a live action. It really doesn't make a sequel. I don't know if this is trying to, I guess, take away from all the negativity The Rock has garnered because of what happened in DC. No idea. I I mean, I don't know, man. It's Moana. It's barely 10 years old. I mean, if we're going that route, shoot. Coco deserves a live action. But you know what film deserves a live action from Disney that they haven't done? Treasure Planet and freaking Atlantis. Give us those. Come on. Anyway, um, a movie I'm actually excited about because it is a sequel is Extraction 2. The teaser we got looks insane, and it basically does a one-shot, a continuous shot, with Chris Hemsworth trying to get to this girl. Basically, my guess is to extract her from a dangerous situation. It looks like it's going to be a fun time, and I'm very curious to see how they do the time jump. Him basically coming back from the dead and is surviving. So I'm excited to see this movie. It's one that I'm looking forward to because it's a mindless action and good fun. Anyway, that's it for movies. We're going to be moving on to video games. And I got to say, this upcoming video game could have been a movie. And that is Crime Boss Rocket City. Because the trailer dropped and this game looks actually like it's supposed to be fun and not taken seriously. And it has a good cast. Michael Rooker, Donald Glover, Vanilla Ice. Yeah, okay, maybe not Vanilla Ice is a good cast, but I mean, it's something different. Chuck Norris, Michael Madison, Danny Trejo, I think I'm pronouncing this guy's name right, a Domian Podier, and many more. And you know what? You know what this game reminds me of from the trailer? It reminds me of the original Saints Row, and that's a good thing. The remake sucked. We need something crazy and not to be taken seriously of. And this seems like it's going to be this game. Hopefully I'm right, and hopefully it's good. Anyway, moving on. Jun Kazama is officially being made canon and is coming to Tekken 8. Now, I get it that she's been already made canon. But what I mean by that is that she's still alive. She's made a couple of appearances since Tekken 2, but they've been in tag team battles and non-canon games. So for her to officially be back is going to be interesting. And I'm very curious to see what she's been doing all this time. Because if you guys remember, Tekken 3 was all about her son avenging her and defeating the ogre. So I'm very curious to see what happens. Her moves are very similar to what we saw in the anime. And apparently she's here to cleanse the world of evil. I'm very excited to see how crazy this story gets. And I can't wait to see her reaction to Jin. Because wow, her son has definitely taken to the dark side. Uh, speaking of dark sides, The Last of Us Part 1 is not doing that well on PC. It has so many bugs that it's making for a really, really good meme fest. I've seen these memes, they're hilarious, and I'm very disappointed at Naughty Dog for releasing a game on PC after the hype of the show, and it's just buggy. Like, do you not test this stuff? It's simple, boot up a PC. Get some beta testers. Test the game. But we'll see what happens. Hopefully they're able to fix everything. Uh, next, talking about beta testers. Wow. The Veiled Experts, which has shown to be in its final beta, is basically coming out of the beta and becoming free to play. It's going to be a 5v5 tactical shooter where you're basically given objectives to do and given some special abilities. 
I'm really hoping that this doesn't fail. It looks like it's going to be fun, but who knows? There's so many different first-person shooters out there. Maybe this will be different than, from the rest. Uh, Genshin Impact is getting a 3.6 update, and the trailer that was released gives you a bunch of new stuff and information. They're introducing new characters like, uh, God, I really hate pronouncing these names, Baizuhu and Kava. I apologize if I'm butchering these names. I have no idea how to pronounce them. Anyway, they're giving you some new artifacts, weapons, and a lot more stuff will be showing up in the update. And I can't wait to see how they do this because one, this studio has been bringing new stuff to their fans non-stop ever since this game has released. This studio knows how to keep their fan base happy and I hope other studios take notice. This is what you do. Make us happy and we will pay you money. Again, my opinion, that is all. Moving on. Uh, speaking of updates as well, Gran Turismo is getting a 1.31 update. And this will add the Nuremberging Endurance Spirit, new Audi RS5 Turbo, a DTM 2019, a Mazda 3X Burgundy, Selection 2019, a Porsche 959 1987, and a bunch of other cars. Do I know what these cars do? All I know is that they drive really, really fast. Not a car person? Shoot me. Anyway, moving on. Spring is here on Fortnite, and they're already breaking out the Easter eggs and a bunch of new spring break announcements. So it's going to be fun if you play Fortnite and... It's definitely going to be a fun ride for the Easter eggs. I remember what they did last year, so if it's anything like this year, who knows? It should be fun. Leroy Smith and Asuka Kazuma are confirmed for Tekken 8. And their movements look great, especially with Leroy Smith's Wing Chun. It just looks beautiful. Absolutely stunning. And I love that his dog is still there. I'm very happy about the dog. And uh, Asuka Kazuma is really fun. I'm very curious to see if they're going to explore her origins a bit and let you know who her father is and what her relationship to the whole Kazuma family is. And her fighting style looks great too. And that's about it for video games. I'm going into nerd theories now and this may be an unpopular nerd theory but hear me out. I actually think The Rock is getting more flack than he's actually deserving of. I get it. He was the reason why Black Adam got his own movie, but let's be honest, he was promised this back in 2014. So they were already giving some plans for what they were going to do with Black Adam. Then they had the Shazam movie, and then he still wanted his own movie. Which makes sense, I mean, he's been fighting for this. Just like Ryan Reynolds was for Deadpool for years. He basically put off a bunch of other projects, he wanted to take the DCEU in a new direction where he was basically going to fight Superman. I get it. That's not how his character works. His character is supposed to be a straight up villain. And I know he wanted to take over the DCEU. I mean, people were happy with Henry Cavall came in for the cameo and didn't realize it was supposed to be Shazam. Heck, The Rock apparently blocked a bunch of different characters from his own movie from showing up in Fury of the Gods. And it's so obvious that Fury of the Gods was meant to introduce Black Adam as the villain. I get that. 
and again, I think he's getting really big flack, and he doesn't deserve it. He really doesn't. Everyone's trying to put all the blame of Shazam 2 Fury of the Gods on him when that shouldn't be the case. Honestly, you there is so much blame to be put around because one, you guys got to remember James Gunn said that we were going to reset everything. So no more Ben Affleck as Batman, no more Gail Godot as Wonder Woman. So there is a lot of indicators on why these films did not last long. Sure, did Black Adam do well in the box office? Not as much as they hoped, but that was after so many other films in the DCU were disappointing. Suicide Squad does not count. But still, we didn't have a big direction for what was going to happen within the DCEU, we didn't have any announcements, and not to mention they had the whole Discovery merger. So to put all the blame on The Rock, that in my opinion, that he doesn't deserve it. And it just, I don't know, at this point it just seems like bullying. Does he have a big ego? Definitely. He definitely has a really big ego that probably gets him into more trouble than what it's worth, but he's The Rock, what do you expect? And now he's at Disney again, trying to make a new Moana movie that does not need to happen, he can make a sequel. Anyway, that's it for my nerd theories. Again, it's probably going to be an unpopular, it's not going to be a popular one, let's be honest. But in my opinion, that's what it is. I really think he's getting more flack and Discovery and everybody is trying to put all the blame on him so they can wash their hands clean. Anyway, uh, moving on to Megacon, exactly what you guys been waiting for. And we're going to start off with day one. Now, for Thursday, day one, there wasn't really anything big happening. Only mostly the vendors showing up, which was pretty cool. A lot of them were selling some anime pillows. A lot of them were selling statues. I bought a couple of art pieces here and there for myself. I bought a couple of presents for my friends. Really fun stuff. My dad tagged along. And he finally got to see what I was talking about when I told him to stay away from the furries, and the anime pillow girls was not fun to explain. Anyway, I dressed up as Spider-Man 2099, which was cool. I got my picture taken a lot, and I got to participate in some of the events, like they had Star Wars trivia. I didn't win, but I did do the Cosme minigame they did and won a professional photo shoot from a group called The Project. If you have no idea who they are, they are fantastic people. If you go to these cons and they're there, trust me, if you're wearing cosplay, you will not forget or regret the pictures that they take. Anyway, uh, one thing that was really cool was afterwards, we stuck around uh, seeing what other the vendor events that were happening. Again, the first day is basically to go in, get your badge, see what's happening, and just have some fun. Sure, they, they have some talks, but nothing really from anybody I wanted to hear from. Afterwards, we hung out, went to a Colombian restaurant, ate some food, and there were so many cosplayers at Megacon that really were amazing. You had Predator, Doctor Who, you had Ghostbusters. We were They were able to set up something where you were able to donate money and put on their professional Proton Pack and take a picture with the Ecto car and the second Ecto car. Really great. Those guys were fun. Anyway, after we were done with the first day at Megacon, we went to see the Dungeons & Dragons movie which I talked about. When it came to day two, it was amazing. So we started off with an anime deathmatch and I gotta say, I was very, very surprised on how many people chose Sailor Moon over Goku on who would win. And they had some pretty other fights too. Ones that surprised me the most was uh, Genji, the main dude from Chainsaw Man, 
almost lost to David from Cyberpunk in a debate. In my opinion, as much as I do like David, Genji's going to win. And remember, this is during their peak power. And in my opinion, David would lose because he would go Cyber Psycho almost instantly. So there was that. I got to see speak and even get a picture with Carl Weathers and even shake his hand. That was amazing. The dude is so much taller in person and he's huge. He doesn't look like in the show, but the dude is buff. And I got to dress up as Obi-Wan Kenobi and finally get to use my Ultra Saber. So that was fun. I also went to some Nintendo trivia. It was okay. Not the best. I went shopping for a bit. I will say this. I did see at least 15 guys dressed in maid costumes. Not that there's nothing wrong with that. I just tried to figure, is there like a new anime coming out? Is this like an event I didn't see? Maybe they're there for the maid cafe? God, all those anime weeps thinking there's going to be anime jicks in that maid cafe is going to be in for a rough surprise if that was true. God, that would be hilarious to see. I would have actually paid just to see their looks. Where was I? Yes. So again, nothing wrong with that. I was just trying to figure out if there was something I missed. Let's see what else. There was this one chick dressed as the main uh, protagonist in Kill a Kill. Wow, she basically dressed up in her battle suit and did not shy away from leaving everything open for the eyes to see. If you know who the main chick from Kill a Kill is and you know what her battle suit looks like, basically that. It was it was very interesting to see. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, we got some Wild Bill's root beer and my dad got obsessed with it. It's so good. And if you have never tried Wild Bill's root beer, I would definitely, definitely give them a try. My only complaint is that it should have more of a kick to it. I like my drinks with a little more seltzer. It's a little more uh, sweeter. But again, really good root beer. And they also had a Star Wars section in Megacon. And I got to talk to the R2-D2 Builders Club, which was really cool. They also had a bunch of different designs for R2-D2, including a steampunk version, which was pretty cool. There was a bunch of people also from the 501st Legion, the local one, who were in full costume. I even got to talk to a guy dressed as Rex. I was trying to look for Commander Cody since I was dressed as Obi-Wan, but wasn't able to find anybody. And I had fun for their, with when it came to the after party that came after. Really great time for day two, and day three just got better. When it came to day three... It was crazy since it was Saturday and so many people had bought a day pass for this day only. And one thing that was interesting was the fact that I had to pick and choose what I wanted to sacrifice because I couldn't go to everything and there was basically a line for whatever I wanted to do. So me and my dad head over to Cartoon Trivia, which was really cool. I actually got into second place and my dad made it into the final eight. And I gotta say, these cartoon, uh, name that cartoon, was insane they played the theme song small clips from whatever anime cartoon or movie it came from and this is the crazy part they played cartoons from like Hanna-Barbera they had freaking Mr. T adventures Fat Albert like and like shows from I've never even watched even my dad was stumped at some of these ones so it was really cool and it kept us guessing too Sometimes we didn't even know the show. That's how old or obscure the, they picked. And that's amazing. I loved it when they really put their heart and soul into something and make it difficult. Sometimes it's too easy. It's always good to be challenged. Anyway, I really won a music sheet for Inspector Gadget, which I got for my sister. And after we were done with that, we went back and forth between the north section and the south section, 
trying to figure out what we wanted to do next and trying to get in line before everything got like cut off. Uh, we were able to finally go to a comic book uh, meet and we were able to meet writer Jeff Johns. And if you don't know who that is, he's the person who wrote Flashpoint, Blackest Night, Brightest Day, and a whole bunch of other great stories. Again, he did kind of write some bad ones like Three Jokers, which wasn't that great. But he did write one of my favorite books, which was Batman Earth 1, Volumes 1 through 3. He talked about how they were going to bring The Outsiders if DC gave him book 4. I'm very mad at DC because they didn't do that. It was right there. We were at the crisp of greatness. Anyway, he did talk about how amazing it was to work with on Stargirl. And even Breck Bassinger made an appearance. And it was a very much a surprise. We got to see some cool stuff and get a hint of what's to come. He did say, and this was very concerning, that there might be a potential writer strike. I really hope that doesn't happen because I'm not sure if he was talking about comics or TV shows. If it turns out to be comics, it kind of makes sense, especially what's been happening at DC. Because first they were bought by AT&T, now they're being bought by Discovery, and they're such a shakeup. And he talked about how before he was given two years to come up with a storyline, which is where he got Blackest Night, Brightest Day. And now they're basically made story, okay, this story is going great, we're going to extend your issues. There's not really a place where he's being able to spread out and do different stories. So if there is a writer strike, it's going to be interesting to see how long that lasts. Now, after the panel with Jeff Johns, we actually went to another panel when I got to talk and ask Nolan North a question. And this dude is crazy and hilarious. And the question I asked him if we are ever going to see him in a Deadpool video game, he said he's trying to work on it. He has an idea for a sequel to Deadpool the game, but a lot of times these studios, they have different video games already on their slate for the next two, three years. So he has to get, of course, a studio to agree and make the game. And this dude in real life is Deadpool in human form. He had some crazy stories, including one where someone in London talked about how much Rick Toffin was his favorite character from Call of Duty and his favorite uh, voice that Nolan North did. He pointed to his costume that he was wearing, which was showing basically World War II Nazi, and told him that was an actual SS uniform. That is insane. Who wears an actual SS uniform? That should not be legal at all. Who the heck proudly walks away? Who even, is that like a grandpa thing? Did you guys just move from Germany? Or did your father fought for the allies and basically took it with him for like a trophy? I don't know. Anyway, it was really great. I felt bad for the guy behind me because uh, the guy who asked the next question was really weird. He asked a question, which I don't remember what he asked. But the second question, I will never forget because it was so weird that even Nola North did a what? And even the host was very confused. So the question, second question that was asked and took up most of the time and didn't let the guy behind him ask his question was, how did Troy Baker smell? Not really the question that I was expecting, nor did everybody else. So that was really weird. Afterwards, after we came from Nolan North, again, if you've never seen a panel with him and you have the opportunity to do so in person, definitely would recommend. Afterwards, we actually hurried to see the panel with Charlie Cox and Vincent DeFario. 
And I got to say, they didn't allow anybody to ask any questions because they wanted to lower the risk of potential leaks for the new Daredevil show. But it was awesome. And seeing how playful they were with each other was really cool. Uh, John Bernthal was supposed to show up, but of course, he's still filming some stuff with the Punisher. They talked about how they're basically working together again. So we all know that the Punisher is going to show up. And I really hope it's for a big role. After we were done, uh, we went back to the hotel to relax, and I went to the after party for MegaCon, which was pretty cool. They played some um, EDM music, which was fine. Not really my thing, but you know what? I had a great time dancing, and if you're there, please let me know. It's always good to talk to anybody who showed up for MegaCon. And now let's talk about day four. Day four wasn't what I expected at all. Because usually when it comes to these cons, day four is when a lot of these artists are trying to sell their stuff because there's not a lot of people there. The prices are lowered. But that's not what happened today. There was a lot of people there in MegaCon. So everything was about the same price. So I ended up uh, trying to find stuff for my sisters, thinking I was going to find a good deal, but I didn't. But the highlight of that entire day was definitely seeing Steve Burns, Steve from Blue's Clues in person. The dude is such a kind guy. And not to mention, he mentioned how he added ASL to some episodes. There was this one guy who was deaf in real life and he was signing and one of the people up there who was basically translating came down, asked the question. It was so awesome. I really... Really wanted to ask him a question, but uh, they didn't have time. They did ask, which was really funny, how Mr. Salt and Mrs. Pepper were able to make so many different kids, and it was just hilarious. He didn't. He said there was nothing going on in the spice rack and that their anatomies were just different. It was a very kid-friendly way to say and answer the question because there were kids in the audience, so we couldn't get that far. Anyway, uh, afterwards, we didn't really do much. Because, I mean, honestly, that's all I wanted to do that day. We saw a few other vendors. I did take a picture with quite a few guys. There was this one guy with an Audrey 2 puppet. He was dressed as Seymour, which was really cool. He was able to move that thing around. I even took a picture with a group of people who were dressed as Mario, Princess Peach, Wario, Luigi, Waluigi. And they basically were dressed as what those characters would look like as Ghostbusters. You also had one dude dressed up as the moon dude from the old McDonald's commercial. And my dad was like, oh my God, that's the dude. And I'm there. Well, that was more me. And I was like, my dad was like, what dude? I was like, isn't he the dude from the old McDonald's commercial? My dad just had a light bulb go off. So we got to take a picture with him and it was amazing. I really can't wait to see how next year we'll top everything off. I hope they get bigger. And I really hope they don't overbook the parking because that was kind of ridiculous. If you were there... And you were in lot one, you know exactly what I was talking about. Here's an example. So they made lot one, two, and three available for pre-purchase. Then, while we were there, they made a lot five, not four, five, and six. I think they added a seven at one point. That's how crazy this got. So I really hope that they don't overbook. Anyway, that's it for the Megacon section. We're going to be moving on to current events. Now, I will say the one thing that kind of surprised me, but then again, it didn't, was the fact that E3 was canceled. That didn't surprise me because it has been canceled before, but I think this is the first time it's been canceled 
post-pandemic. And I don't blame them for canceling. Heck, you have PlayStation doing their state of play. You had Xbox doing this. You had one for indie games. There's nothing really for E3 to announce that hasn't been already announced. Before, you would have all these events happening at E3. You would have Assassin's Creed opening up an obstacle course to celebrate the new game. But now that's not the case anymore. We have evolved beyond E3. And I think that there won't be another E3 for a long time. Because there's no point to it anymore. Everyone's doing their own thing and we've outgrown it. Maybe they'll do something to revamp it all. In my opinion, for E3 to continue, they should focus on indie games. Because that's where the next generation are going to look to. And I think that's a good way to keep it alive because... Again, PlayStation does their own thing, so does Microsoft, so does Steam. They do their own thing, and I don't think E3 is necessary for them anymore. Moving on to our next current events, the UFC and WWE are combining companies, and now we're going to be one group worth $21 billion. That is absolutely insane. And I'm very curious in how they're going to affect each other. Now, you might be asking, why am I talking about the UFC and WWE? Because they are a big part of nerd culture, especially the WWE. I've never watched it, but so many people are into these storylines. Not to mention, they have TV shows, They, I think they're going to be doing cartoons, and they have video games. So this does affect nerd culture in a sense. And I'm wondering if they're going to come up with a game that kind of crosses over WWE versus UFC. Who knows, it might be interesting. Vince Mahone is going to serve as executive chair, while Ari Emanuel will be CEO. And uh, that's about it for this week's episode. I hope you guys really enjoyed. I will probably have the next episode up by Monday, if not Sunday. So definitely keep your ears open. But I hope you guys have had a good one. And yep, just wish me luck, because this is going to be a very, very long week. Sayonara. Talk to you later. Have a blessed day.